and we will be reading Galatians 3, 19 down to 25. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word alone endures forever. And may he bless it to us this morning. You know, as much as we might read this text and have a lot of questions about what does this mean, what does that mean, uh, before we get to understanding those things, I have a whole lot more questions to ask for you to think and to meditate upon because we need to understand that there is a purpose to God's law, just not what it was being used for in the time of Paul writing this letter. Remember, he is addressing churches that had been confounded by a group known as the Judaizers who were Jewish people who became Christians, but they were unwilling to give up the Old Testament ways because they believed all those laws that concerned the temple and the feast days and the special Sabbaths and especially the law of circumcision. They believed that all of those things were still vitally important to one's salvation and that unless you upheld the Old Testament laws and regulations, you could not be saved especially circumcision. And they were demanding of the Gentiles that they become Jews in that more spiritual sense of the word in order for them to be truly saved. And Paul is battling that false gospel and that legalism and that works righteousness which we are so prone to. And that brings us to this place where he's dealing with the purpose of the law. Let me ask you, thinking on your own profession of faith in Jesus Christ, what drew you to profess faith in Christ? And that's a great question to meditate on and and to answer rightly. Why do you call Jesus Savior? That begs the question, if He is your Savior, what has He saved you from? (laughs) And, And most of us, rightly so, will say, He saved us from our sins and from death. 
But he also saved you from the curse of the law. And you come back to that question, what drew you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus? I can guarantee you that a number were thinking, well, because uh, Christ is our Savior and and He's the only way I can get into heaven, and uh, so I believe in Him. And we we even in our attempts to present uh, an aspect of the gospel, we fall short in understanding that that great point. What have we been saved from? Why do we need a Savior? And it is, yes, because we are sinful and and we need to be made right to be with God. Yes, we are people who are bound for death and we want to live forever. One of the most vital things that Paul brings out here is you need to be saved because you are under the curse of the law. Because you have broken. It's not just that we are sinners. What does it mean to be a sinner? It means to be someone who has broken, transgressed God's law and is worthy of God's wrath and justice. And we need to be delivered. We can't deliver ourselves. So think on that. What drew you to profess your faith in Christ? Children, if I can have your attention for a moment. How many of you at times in your life, and perhaps some of you older children, young adults can relate to this. How many of you felt that you were forced to come to church by your parents and were thinking at times in your life, I just can't wait to get out from under the rule of my parents so I can do what I want to do. And I hope as you're thinking on that, (laughs) that many of you, or at least all of you here, are grateful for that perseverance of your parents to that end to keep you coming. How many times do you hear as you are growing up, people coming and saying to you, you don't have to do what your parents tell you. (laughs) You're your own person. And you begin to question that. I don't know why I have to follow their rules. Well, that's going to bring us to Paul's point here. Do you know why we have rules in our homes? Because those rules are there to force us to do what is right when we don't want to do what is right. And that's again a problem within our own hearts. Why do I have to go to church? Because it's the right thing to do. But I don't want to go. And this is your faith. It's not my faith. But it's the right thing to do. To worship God is the most glorious, righteous thing that we can do. And we wrestle against that, don't we? And we need to be forced into it. It's like the laws of our land. I don't know why they don't just raise the speed limit to 120 on the highway. Everyone's driving that fast anyways. (laughs) But you know the reality? That if they did, even if they raised it to 110, uh, coming back from having put over 5,000 kilometers on my vehicle and traveling to the Maritimes, that, yes, I was over the speed limit, 
But the speed limit was 110, and people were doing 130 and 135. Because it gets stretched. We wonder, why don't they just raise it? Because everyone's going... Well, you do that, and people are going to stretch it again. Why are there rules and regulations to force us to do what is right because the inclination of our hearts is to not do what is right? We need rules. We need laws. We need rules in our homes to function together as a family. We need rules over society. And we might think, well, that's a stupid rule. You know why stupid rules get put into place? Is because people do not want to do what we would think is common sense right. It's the inclination of our hearts. Now you start thinking on another side note. How much of Christianity has an unbiblical understanding and an unbiblical application of God's moral law, what we call the Ten Commandments? Now here are ten rules that God gives you to direct your steps. Now tell me, what is the hardest of those ten rules for Christians in the church to follow? And it will surprise you. And it is, I think, I think it's the one commandment that stands out among the nine that we all do not admit it, but we all do not obey it as we think we ought. And that's the fourth one. This is the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. How we regard our understanding of that and how many like to twist it, not Not to obey it, but twist it to follow their life and what they want. How much of the gospel preaching, gospel teaching, I'm building up to our text, but think about how much of gospel preaching is lawless. I mean, without the law, the reason why we need Christ is often convoluted and lacking the intent and the purpose of God's law. Jesus is often set as a Savior who makes your life better and who simply opens the way to heaven so that we can have eternal life, which is true. Where, where's the reason as to why we need a Savior? We, we treat and use the Gospel today as, as a key that unlocks the door to heaven. And, and that is the blessing and the benefits of redemption. We don't deny that. Maybe some of you are thinking of Revelation 20. And Jesus uh, knocking on the door of our hearts asking to come in. Uh, That's a wrong application of that verse, but he's actually knocking on the door of the church and saying to the church, let me in. (laughs) But we think that. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Just, Just open it up and he'll come in. But the reason why we need a Savior is lacking And and here Paul is telling us a lawless gospel is a dangerous gospel. 
We don't always think that, but what do I mean by a lawless gospel? What I mean is that people are not presented a Jesus who saves them from the curse of the law. They're presented with a Jesus who has come to make your life better. That is blessings, of course, that come with the gospel and our profession of faith. But Paul here is saying, do you understand what the purpose of the law is? It's not there to bolster our image or to make us think how righteous we are before God. The law is there purposed, especially in relation to the gospel, to drive us to Christ. To show us how much we need a Savior. To show us how much sin has taken hold of our lives. To show us the curse we were under. God's law has purpose. Especially in relation to the gospel. But you need to, and I'm hammering this point home again and again, you need to understand the law does not justify you. Your obedience to the Ten Commandments does not make you righteous. As I already said, our obedience to God is always an imperfect obedience. Even James said, how many of us We can look into that perfect law of liberty. We can look and see the Ten Commandments and walk away without being impacted by them. How many times do we do that? It's like looking in the mirror and turning around and you forget what you look like. That's the illustration he uses. The law doesn't make us righteous. It reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, John Calvin uh, said this about the, the threefold use of the Ten Commandments, the law of God. First, the, the law shows God's righteousness. And as it shows God's righteousness, it acts as a mirror. It reveals our sinfulness and our need of divine help. Because we certainly haven't kept the law in all of its principles and precepts and judgments and statutes and, and, and the encompassing nature of the whole of the law where James says that even if you break one, you've broken it all. Because the same God who said, you shall not murder also said, you shall not commit adultery. You know, it, he, it, it's one law, like God is one. The law also does act to restrain sinners in their sinning. Just as the law of the land does. And again, the illustration with speeding. We all know what we can get away with on the highway. And we just hover at that point, don't we? When we're cruising along. And we know just a little too much and you get a, guy, a, a police officer who's having a bad day and you know you're going to get pulled over. So it keeps us from sinning too much. Just enough that we can get away with it. But here Paul, here Paul says to us, asks that question, what purpose then does the law serve? And he brings out 
three purposes in this section. The first one being that the law exposes our sin. Verses 19 and 20. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed, that is Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. It was added to make clear to us that we are lawbreakers. We don't consider that a reality, but that's what we are. I was thinking, again, just to hit this home, how much of a propensity that we as Christians have in stretching the law to accommodate our desires. And, and uh, this is in respect of what we call the principles of worship. As a Reformed church, we operate under what we call the regulative principle of worship. And what that means is this, that we are only to worship God by what is expressly commanded in scriptures or by what by necessary and good deduction can be drawn from scripture. We are not to say to God, I'm going to worship you how I feel. Because our feelings are often wrong. So we have a principle of worship that regulates us. God's word. God commands, we obey. The vast majority of churches operate under what we call the normative principle of worship. And it's slightly different. It goes like this. As long as God's word doesn't forbid it, we can do it. And that's very different, isn't it? That's like a child saying to their parent, you didn't say I couldn't do this. (laughs) How many times have we heard that? Or said that? (laughs) And yet you know it was implicit with the command, do not do something. But you didn't say I couldn't do this. Knowing in the back of our mind that if I get caught, I'm probably in trouble. And that's again, that's that's how we deal with God. In our sinful way. As long as there's no command not to, we can Paul here says the law comes because we are so prone to transgressing God's law. It comes and it reveals our transgressions. Paul deals with that in Romans 7. When he says, you know what, when I looked at the law, he would say in another place, when I considered myself as a Pharisee and a follower of God's law, I thought I was wholly righteous. And I think this is why he chose the 10th commandment. In Romans 7, he said, I didn't know what coveting was until the law came and said, you shall not covet. And why did he single that one out? Well, it's because we can in our outward appearance before people, present ourselves as pretty good people. I don't smoke, I don't swear, I don't drink. Uh, I haven't committed adultery, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat. And and those are things that you can see visibly. I go to church, I've been baptized, etc., etc., etc. 
But then that tenth commandment comes and it meets us and it's dealing nothing with the outward actions, it's dealing everything with the heart. What we can't see. I can't see if you're coveting something. God can. And that's when Paul says, that law, when my mind was opened, you shall not covet. It just revealed all the coveting that I had in my heart. I did not know how much I broke that law until I heard, you shall not covet. The law showed sin. And the law reveals the depth of our sins. The law reveals just how dead in sin we are. The law does not bring life. brings judgment. But you know what he says there in exposing our sins. God did this on purpose. He gave that law for the time uh, till the time of Christ to come. Now, mind you, he's speaking about everything in context of Israel and what they received through Moses and how they were to worship God in the tabernacle and temple and the sacrifices they were to make and, and the feast days that they were to keep. They were given all of these regulations that they had to follow. Children, you think the rules in your home are hard to follow, you wouldn't believe the hundreds of commands that Israel had to follow every year. Just to show that they were following God. (laughs) But what Paul is saying here, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, he was saying those laws and regulations were in place till Christ came who would fulfill all that they spoke about so that you could see in your life as an Israelite that you were were following the Messiah and looking to Him to deliver you from your sins. God had put in place all the regulations and feast days and holy days and laws not to say to Israel, oh, what a good people you are but to make them aware of how unrighteous they truly were. Even their mediator, Moses, Aaron, they were sinful. They needed to offer sacrifices in Christ to be delivered. And what Paul is saying here, in, in these verses, is he's speaking again to those Judaizers who are saying to Gentiles, you need to become like us. You need to follow the rules. And if you don't, then you're not really saved. What Paul is saying here to them and to the churches is the law did not make Israel better than the Gentiles. And that's the thing. When you know a law... That is to be followed. You may think I'm following it and I'm following it better than other people. The laws don't come there to make us better than other people. It makes us more accountable and responsible. That's what it does. And that's what Paul is, is speaking to the churches God had a purpose for the law. 
It was there to remind you time and time again how much you need that seed who is to come. How much you need Christ. And when Christ came, He was coming to bring forth a way of salvation for the whole world. Not different ways of salvation for different people. God is one. And He has provided one way of salvation for everyone. And that one mediator, Jesus Christ, serves as the only one who can justify anyone who would come to God. Without Christ, you have no forgiveness of sin. You have no acceptance with with God. None. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a European or an African or an Asian, doesn't matter. One way. And the law there in exposing your sin was showing to you the futility of your obedience. Secondly, the law comes and it condemns. In verses 21 to 23. Again, the law does not make you right. The law does not give you life. The law condemns. If there was a law that God could give that would have given you life, then yes, you could have righteousness. You wouldn't need a Savior. But there's no such law that exists to give you life. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know why Jesus told that parable? Because this lawyer who was against Jesus and against Jesus even ministering beyond the borders of Israel, this lawyer wanted to trap Jesus and he comes up to him and he says, Good master, always beware of people who try to flatter you before they ask you something. (laughs) Hey man, I really appreciate what you're doing here. Uh, Could you tell me What do I need to do to gain eternal life? And you would have thought Jesus would have said to him, just believe on me. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I've come to deliver you. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. Isn't that what Paul said to the Philippian jailer? But Jesus didn't say that. What did he say? You know the law. Do it. And you will live. And immediately the lawyer knew in his own heart, that's impossible, nobody can obey the whole law. So he asked Jesus, which law are you talking about? And Jesus quotes the summary of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And even more, what what Jesus was saying to the lawyer, and the lawyer got it, you don't love God. You love yourself. You love your own righteousness. You love your own self-justifying religion. You don't love God. And then the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? And, And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan only to say you still don't get it. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about who is your neighbor. It's about who are you being a neighbor to. 
And at every stage, Jesus was saying to him, You think you're righteous, but you're not. In fact, at the end of the day, you don't have eternal life because there's no law that can give you life. Instead, what the law does and what Jesus was doing with that lawyer in that parable of the Good Samaritan time, what he was saying is the law is actually confining you. That's what Paul says here. The Scriptures has confined all uh, under sin. Confine it. It shuts you in. It imprisons you. Paul would say in Romans uh, chapter 3, he would say that the law comes and it stops our mouth from boasting and pronounces the whole world guilty before God. That's what the... That, that's just taking those Ten Commandments. That's what it does. It says you're guilty before God. It confines you. But again, it does it with purpose. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Why have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I am a transgressor of God's law. Under His judgment, I am guilty of breaking all of His law. I deserve His wrath and justice. And I have no way out except through Jesus Christ. Unless we knew that the law condemns us, we wouldn't go there. Paul says this is why God gave the law, especially to Israel. Israel, you should have been the ones pounding on that door. Let me in. I'm a dying sinner. Actually, a dead sinner. The law confines you so that you can see that only in Christ can I be justified. As Martin Luther said, the true function... And proper use of the law is to reveal our sin, our blindness, our misery, our wickedness, our ignorance, our hate, our contempt of God, our contempt of hell and death and judgment and the well-deserved wrath of God. Isn't it ironic that the very purpose of the law is to drive us to the gospel, to be saved? And again, how how much God's law has been removed even from His churches. How, you, know, you, you hear a lot of people in, in the States especially saying the, the Ten Commandments have been removed from the school and from the, from the courthouses. Well, whatever. It's worse when they're not even spoken in the churches. So how do you know that you are confined, imprisoned by death, by justice. And as the law condemns, Paul says, God in His infinite wisdom brought the law, verse 23, so that we could be kept under guard by it till Christ came. Guarded, if you will, by soldiers. That's what that word kept means. It's it's holding you in that uh, accuser, uh, the accused box until you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. 
And that brings us to our our last point here in verses 24 and 25. And that is that the law is there to lead us to Christ. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That word tutor, it it talks about a, a teacher, but it's more of this understanding. It's about a trustworthy guardian who would keep the children in line in the home until they reached adulthood. How many parents want one? <laughs> it's, it's challenging. But they, they had special tutors. They weren't just simply teachers. They kept them in line. And the law is there in the hands of God to be a tutor in our life, to reveal to us the necessity of Jesus Christ. Think about Exodus. Exodus 5, when Moses comes to say to Pharaoh, God has said, you shall let my people go. And Pharaoh, uh, of course, uh, declared his uh, uh, answer as, no, who is this God? Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice? And then Pharaoh said, you know what? Uh, these people, they want to get out from under our, our bondage and, and servitude to us. They don't have enough to do. So let's go and make their work even more demanding. Take away their straw and, and make it clear to them. They've got to go out and get their straw to keep on making those bricks. And none of their work is going to be reduced. We still require what we've demanded of them. Only now they have to work harder to get it done. And Israel, when that was brought upon them, they cried out to Moses, Look, you've made it worse than before. And you showed their heart. But it it has a relation to this. That what the law does is it doesn't say to you, Oh, look how good you are. Look how well you are doing. But the law comes and it says to us, Not enough. Not enough. Try harder. Do more. Still not enough. You haven't obeyed enough. No, you're, you're not telling the truth as you should. No, you don't worship God as He should be worshipped. Not enough. Do more. Get going. And it's relentless. And we're kept under guard until it breaks through by the power of the Spirit in our hearts. God, save me from this bondage. What must I do to be saved? The law is there to bring us to Christ. So that by believing in Him, we can be justified. We can be forgiven our sins and accepted as righteous in the righteousness of Christ. You see, it's faith in Jesus Christ that washes away that futility of self-righteous pride. And when we come to faith, we're no longer under a tutor. And what he's saying is, when you come to faith in Christ, the purpose of God's law changes. It's not saying, do this, do this. It's rather saying, now that Christ has saved you, love God. Love your neighbor.
and the intent of the law to love is now our reason for obeying. My friends, do not despise God's law. When you hear the Ten Commandments and it makes you feel guilty, do not try to justify your actions. When God's law commands you, do not look at it and say, well, that was for times past. No, God's holy law is still in effect. When God's law meets you, hear it and see what God is saying to you. That that you need to flee to Christ for mercy. That you need to repent and turn away from your sins. You need to believe in one who is righteous and holy and who bore the brunt of your guilt and condemnation to death so that you could be delivered. Believe on Him and you will be saved. You see, the law leads us to Christ for salvation. So I ask you, As I began, why have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Why have you made your profession of faith? Do you know what it is to be delivered from God's justice, wrath, as well as your sins and death? Believe on the Lord. You will be saved. Let us pray.